Hello everyone and welcome back to the Backmarkers podcast episode number 16 I think 16 we move but um so in this week's episode we are going to be going through the Baku Azerbaijan Grand Prix race preview as well as your usual news roundup from all the small tidbits of news that have come out after the snooze fest of monaco so as such there isn't really much news to talk about but we will be getting into the flexi wing debate today which is the off-track battle between red bull and mercedes this year and what my take on it is what the whole situation entails and just everything surrounding it really but just a quick send of my condolences to the family of MotoGP, well, Moto3 rider Jason Dupasquare, or Dupasquare, I can't, can't, don't know how to pronounce his name. Um, unfortunately, he did die at the age of 19 in an accident in qualifying in over the weekend, which is very, very sad to see. So full, full my condolences go to his family and friends, and I hope they're coping well with this tragic, tragic loss. But without further ado, we'll get on to the rest of the news and that now. So without further ado, let's get into episode number 16 of the Backmarkers podcast. So let's get right into episode 16 with starting off with your Baku, Azerbaijan, whatever you want to call it, Grand Prix race preview. Now Baku is one of my favourite tracks on the calendar, it's up there with Spa and Monza for me, and it's a different kind of street circuit to what you see at Monaco. I think it's a much better street circuit than Monaco. It's a bit wider, a lot more opportunities to overtake, and especially you've got that infamous Turn 8 chicane past the castle, which has claimed many a driver. I'm stupid being the meme moment from that corner, but it's kind of hard to get through there, isn't it? especially with the cars that are now like two metres wide or whatever nowadays, and the gap in that turn eight chicane is only seven metres across, which is really, really something. So last time out, we had a good race, and Valtteri Bottas was the winner of that race, with Charles Leclerc getting the fastest lap, but Lewis Hamilton and Sebastian Vettel both getting on the podium and Charles ended up finishing fifth despite getting that fastest lap and being in the lead of the race for a good 20 laps. Uh, we had four DNF times in in the race itself, so or DNF times, we had four DNFs and we had Daniel Ricciardo and Daniel Kvyat going out on laps 31 and 33 due to collision damage. We had Roman Grosjean retiring on lap 38 due to brake issues. And we also had Pierre Gasly retiring on lap 38 for brake, or not brake issues, for a drive shaft issue. And, well, think of it like this, right? Baku has always, always provided with good racing, whether that be Cardo and Verstappen coming to the back of each other, or the I Am Stupid, or much, much more, but... I'm really glad that Baku is on the calendar this year as I did miss it quite a bit last season. But where does this leave it this year? Obviously, because times have changed. Times have changed massively since 
since then and what do I think is going to happen? So I do think it'll be more of the same. Coming from Monaco where Red Bull pulled off a masterclass over Mercedes and Mercedes just had a poor weekend in general. I think it'll be in Mercedes's best interest to bounce back really, really hard this week. And I think they'll they'll be they'll be absolutely gunning for that race win and the pole position and the fastest out. They'll be wanting to take it all after their atrocious weekend in Monaco, where one driver out due to a dodgy pit stop, which is now on record on Google and whatever as the longest pit stop in F1 history. Uh, <laughs> which is 97 hours it took from Valtteri coming into the pits until they took the car back to the factory in Brackley and took that wheel off, which I think is absolutely astounding. It's 97 hours for a machined wheel nut. You would have thought you could have just sledgehammered it off, but obviously not. But yes, going back to the point, I think Mercedes will really, really, really want to bounce back after Monaco, like I've just said, and... I'm going to say that Lewis Hamilton is going to win this race because they're just going to be, they're going to want to be on point for this one especially because Baku is supposed to be a Red Bull track with the flexi wing debate that is going on at the moment which is gaining which is giving the drivers who are running cars with flexi wings limbo wings whatever you want to call them a 0.6 seconds advantage over the teams that have rigid rear wings this will obviously be the last weekend that the flexi wings can be used with future tests coming in place after Baku at the French Grand Prix to ensure uh, aerodynamic feature rigidity, I think is the word I'd describe it as. But in the midfield, I think that McLaren will be edging out Ferrari in this race simply because... If you've looked at the Baku circuit, there's a lot of long straights. There's a lot of fast, long straights. And as we've seen in races such as Imola, in Portimao, the Ferrari has really, really struggled to keep cars behind it. And that, no, not, not Portimao, actually, just in Imola, really, when you saw Charles get overtaken by Lewis and Lando on the restart, because that Ferrari does struggle with straight line speed, whereas the McLaren doesn't. And the Ferrari, the Ferrari they've built this year does favour the slow speed corners like a Monaco, like a maybe an Abu Dhabi, maybe, but does seem to favour the slower corners. And that's where the majority of Ferrari's time is gained compared to McLaren, who've got probably one of the fastest cars on the straight this year. Meaning that I think McLaren will be edging out. I think Lando Norris is going to edge out Charles and Carlos this year, this race. And I think Daniel Ricciardo, despite performing really poorly in Monaco, I think he'll want to, again, bounce back, try and figure out what's going wrong with him in this McLaren before the race. And you've seen it on his Instagram. I know a lot of people have been critical of him saying, oh, you see on Lando's Instagram and Lando's social medias that he's always in the simulator, he's always at the factory or whatever. He's focusing all of his time on F1, whereas if you go to McLaren, if you go to Ricardo's social media, it's him like riding mountain bikes and fucking and oh, I almost swore there, my bad. Riding mountain bikes, dirt bikes, jumping over shit, 
all sorts. I just did it again. Oh well, doesn't matter. Um, but you see the attitude difference is what people are trying to get at. And I think Ricardo this week's come out and said, oh, just spent some quality time in the simulator. Back on it for Baku this weekend. And there's even rumours that McLaren are building a new chassis for his, his car to make sure that he feels a bit more home in that car and means he can take it to the limit. As we do not want a repeat of Nigel Mansell in 1995 where the chassis didn't work for him and Mansell in that car didn't work at all. But moving down the field to the other battle. So I'm thinking in F1, we've got four distinct battles in the Constructors' Championship. So you've got the top two of Red Bull and Mercedes. Then you've got the third and fourth position, so the upper midfield, which is McLaren versus Ferrari. The third position is the midfield, like the core midfield, and that's between AlphaTauri, Aston Martin, and Alpine. Now, out of the three of those teams, you've seen, I think the strongest team out of them at the moment is probably Alpine. Uh, they've got a good run. Esteban Ocon is having a good run of momentum so far. But this is in terms of races. I think they've got the, they've got the strongest car in terms of race pace. But Alpha Tauri, if they can get Yuki Snow to back up to his Bahrain form, I think they easily overtake Alpine and Aston Martin into that fourth position. Because Pierre Gasly's performing. He's qualifying fifth and sixth behind the Red Bulls, behind Ferraris, behind the Mercedes, behind the McLarens, or even ahead of them in most cases. But he just needs... Alpatari just need Yuki to mature, get to grips with the car so he can start performing on a weekly or bi-weekly or whole race basis. But the surprise package from last week's Grand Prix was Aston Martin. You saw Sebastian Vettel come home in P5 and Lance Stroll come home in P8. Now you can argue that Monaco can't overtake, it's all about strategy and Aston Martin absolutely smashed their strategy out of the park. But it takes a lot to keep someone behind you in F1 and for Vettel to come flying out of the pits, to stay ahead of Gasly, to stay ahead of Hamilton and then keep himself there for the entirety of the race with no threat at all really is kind of like the Sebastian Vettel of old that we all want to see. But where do I think they will finish in Baku? So typically in Azerbaijan. I'm going off of the last race that happened. We had Sergio Perez finishing P6 for Racing Point and Lance Stroll finishing P9 for Racing Point. Now, that would go to say that they're just an average run-of-the-mill team on this circuit and that's something that I can agree with. I think even though it's a more contested midfield, I think, like I've been saying for Hamilton that they want to bounce back, I think. It, it's not so much of a bounce back for Aston Martin now. It's a build. Can we build on this good set of points in Monaco? Can we build on that? And maybe they can. But it all it will all depend on of the other teams, how they perform. I know that's, a really, that's like a cop-out answer to say, but it really does depend on the other teams. Because we've seen this season that with the new aero reg changes that Aston Martin have struggled and so have Mercedes because they are the lower rate cars and the aerodynamic changes have punished the lower rate cars and they've also got rigid 
they've also got rigid wings as well rather than the limbo wings meaning that on the straights the teams that are running the limbo wings like mercedes not mercedes like McLaren, no not mclaren either like ferrari and like alfa romeo and alpine and red bull i think are the main ones it depends on if they bring those rear wing changes into baku or if they leave it until the french grand prix but if not i can see Aston Martin finishing just in the points, either with both drivers or with just the one driver. And then moving down the table to Alfa Romeo and Williams and Haas, I think, again, it will be business as usual. You'll have George Russell finishing around 15th, 16th, and you'll have Giovinazzi and Raikkonen finishing just outside the points in probably like a P12 or a P13. Haas, again, Easily to, easy to predict. Bottom two, uh, Mick Schumacher will finish 19th if he finishes. And Nikita Mazepin will finish 20th if he finishes. I can see Mazepin binning it at the Castle Chicane. But, and then Latifi will finish 18th because that's just how F1 racing works nowadays. So in terms of predictions, I'm going for a top three of Hamilton, Verstappen, and I'm going to say... Perez, I'm going to say Perez, closely followed by Bottas in P4. I'm really hoping that Perez finally gets his first Red Bull podium this weekend because he thoroughly deserves it for all the st stick that he's been getting on social media. So that is that was your Baku Azerbaijan Grand Prix race preview. And now we will move on to this week's set of news. So let's get into your news roundup for the week of this week's episode of this week if any of you watch will buxton's videos on youtube you will understand that reference but if not then you probably just think i'm talking a load of rubbish but the main story to come out of formula one over the past few weeks or ever since spain i think is the limbo wing debate and how that affects the car's overall speed and maneuverability in the corners. So, for those of you that don't know what this debate is all about, uh, the main culprits, I believe, are Red Bull and Ferrari on this, and it means that when a car is going down the straight, the rear under the under the downforce, I think the rear wing limbos or dips meaning that you can get faster in the straights as you because it reduces the drag penalty because there's less surface area to go off of but when you go into the corners because of the lesser force the rear wings pop up it's literally like centimeters difference or millimeters difference it's not like it's to the naked eye unless you've been shown a video you wouldn't be able to see it but obviously all these engineers in f1 they look at these things in different different ways yeah as you go into the corners the rear wing kind of flips back up a bit literally millimeters and it gives the drivers of those cars more downforce to work with when going through the corners so what is the problem with these rear wings that are being well portrayed by mercedes and mclaren in particular notice how they're both mercedes powered teams but again, I'm not a conspiracy theorist. I am 
a source of news. But the rules state in Article 3.8 of the Formula One technical regulations that all components that influence a car's aerodynamic performance, such as the front and rear wings, must be rigidly secured to the entirely sprung part of the car and remain immobile in relation to the sprung part of the car. So in other words, that means that movable or flexible aerodynamic devices are not allowed except for DRS because they can offer a performance gain. If you just heard that noise, that was the boiler. Nothing major. Nothing's going to explode. So to make sure that these wings or any aerodynamic parts don't flex or move under loads, they put them through a load of load, load tests and deflection tests. And obviously, if you fail the tests, you can't use the parts. And the FIA themselves actually reserve the right to introduce further tests on any part of bodywork which appears to be moving whilst the car is in motion. So, again, they could penalise Red Bull and be like, we want to test this again because it's clearly obvious that your rear wings are moving. And the main debate here is that on track, these rear wings are giving them around half a second extra a lap purely because of the aerodynamics of the car. And so because Mercedes being competitive against Red Bull and Red Bull are being competitive against Mercedes, at this Grand Prix, if Red Bull or any team runs a flexible wing, then McLaren and Mercedes are going to go and put in a joint protest to the FIA. And Toto Wolff even said he's going to go to the Court of Appeal if needs be, which might be just a bit of exaggeration, but... You can, you can see him doing it. You could see him doing that. But where do I stand on the flexi wing debate? Now, I'm all for sticking by the rules in Formula 1, and I'm all for well, just playing by the rules. I've just said that twice. But in my opinion, if you can make a car like these engineers can, these... Formula One engineers, mechanical engineers, motorsport engineers, or whatever, aerodynamic, aeronautics, or whatever, they spend their entire life studying this stuff and they can understand how to get the most out of the parts they have and the materials they have on a Formula One car. That's what their life's work is for. If you can find a way to create a material or use the materials that you've got to make sure your car goes the fastest, and stick within the rules i think that's fantastic innovation at the end of the day and they should be really proud of said innovation i mean look at mercedes last year they came they had das that's their that was their latest technical innovation and it was deemed to be give them too much an advantage being able to camber the tires it was camber it was like point the tires in different directions depending on what corner you go into due to the steering wheel motion and obviously teams protested that and DAS got taken off of the cars at the end of the season. But I think that if these rear wings are shown to be flexible and they pass all the tests given by the FIA, then what's the problem? Like it's, it's a technical innovation. It's making the sport more competitive and that's a good thing, I think. Nobody's cheating. Nobody's cheating. Nobody's bending the rules because if they pass the tests... They can't be cheating and they can't be bending the rules, is all I think of. 
but that's where I stand on that. I don't, I don't think it's a problem at all. I think it's great that they've somehow found a way to gather a bit more speed out of the cars without breaking the rules, which is something that Racing Point did last year when they copied Mercedes's brake duct design. But what has the FIA responded to this with? So in response to this potential protest, potential court of appeal protest, which is a bit extreme uh, by Mercedes, they are introducing new tests on Formula One rear wings next month. So this is after, well, next month being tomorrow, because tomorrow is the 1st of June. So they're going to put in new tests which come into force on June 15th and I believe the first Grand Prix after that will be the French Grand Prix and to allow for a transition to these new load slash deflection requirements the FI has allowed a 20% tolerance for the first month of these new tests so it'll be interesting to see that after this first round of new testing where Red Bull and Ferrari and other teams sit when their rear wings have to be changed and what might come of it mid-season. As we all know what happened last time something was changed mid-season. I'm looking at you, Ferrari's engine with your illegal fuel flow. After that, they just turned to garbage, didn't they? So, uh, yeah, it'd be interesting to see how Red Bull fare post-June 15th. Imagine how embarrassing it will be for Mercedes and for McLaren if... They've complained so much about these rear wings only for Red Bull and everyone else who's running them to pass the tests, pass these new tests, and then imagine if they still dipped a bit. That would be like the ultimate, like, wouldn't it? But the less about that, the better. And we now move on to a quick story coming out from Ferrari where Mattia Bonotto has come out in the media saying that it is not a given that they'll repeat Monaco podium success in 2021, arguably meaning that he expects Red Bull and Mercedes to win most of the races. So obviously last time out, we saw Carlos Sainz finish second in Monaco. And yeah, Bonotto's come out and said that when well, we got asked when that he thought they'd be able to challenge for wins and poles and titles again, he said he didn't know, and it made the weekend a tough pill to swallow, especially with your number one driver in Charles Leclerc being out with a DNS, which is a big sad on all Charles Leclerc fans' front, like myself. But Carlos Sainz has come out and said that we need to take pride in the steps forward that we've done and how competitive the car has been this weekend, which is very, very true. Big steps forward from this time last year for Ferrari. It's not easy to be quick around Monaco and the fact that both Charles and me were quick is down to the good performance of the team and how everything has been working. Mercedes and Red Bull, I believe they still have an advantage on us, but it would be very tricky to find ourselves fighting for pole positions or a win. That's why this weekend is also a bit of a tough one to swallow as you don't know what the next chance or when the next chance will come because of how good Red Bull and Mercedes are. I'd still think that if Charles had started that race, he would have won. I think it would have made it a much better race with Verstappen behind him for the entire race. But I guess we will 
never know in the end, which, again, it's a bit shamed, really. But it does mean that all the circuits with low speed corners will be a hot spot for Ferrari to potentially pick up a race win or a podium or two. And I'd like to see that. I'd like to see Charles back on the podium. I'd like to see him winning races again. Just give him a race winning car, Ferrari, and he will be the world drivers champion. I th firmly do believe that. But this moves on to another story from their rivals, McLaren. What's McLaren been saying, I hear you ask? You probably didn't ask that, but we get into it anyway. So, in light of Daniel Ricciardo's recent struggles at McLaren at the Monaco Grand Prix, Andreas Seidel, the team principal, has come out and said that you need a special driving style for our car, which is not natural for Ricardo. Quick note before I just get read out what this story is about and my opinion on it. McLaren, I know nobody's listening from McLaren, but if somebody is listening from McLaren, please can you keep the golf livery on for the rest of the season? It's much better than the papaya one. Even though I like the papaya colour and the blue, the golf livery just looks so much better. Please keep it. Please run it again next year at Monaco or something, please. Less of that. On back to the point. So after Daniel Ricciardo's difficult weekend in Monaco, Andreas Seidel has come out and said that he's struggling because the MCL 35M requires a very unique driving style that goes against Ricardo's natural instincts. Obviously, in Monaco last time out, we saw Daniel Ricciardo being lapped by his teammate Lando Norris on the way to a P12 finish. So just to put them into comparison, Norris is having an absolute flyer of the season at the moment, driver of the season so far. He's taken 56 points after five rounds with two third-place finishes. And after five rounds, Daniel Ricciardo has got 24 points. And But again, considering he's won seven races and taken 31 podiums, why is he struggling? So, Andreas came out and said, in order to drive our car fast at the moment, you need a special driving style, which is not natural for Daniel. That's why it's not easy for him to get the laps in and extract the performance. We simply have to keep working together as one team, stay calm, keep learning, keep analysing and do two things, which is him further adapting to our car because he sees that the potential is there, which is a positive thing for him to see that and that Lando can pull it off. So it's kind of a motivator really for Daniel Ricciardo to see this young upstart, Lando Norris, that pesky Lando Norris, if he can do it, then I can too, because I've got more experience and I've won races. I've got on the podium 31 times and Ricardo will come good for McLaren, I believe, in the future. I think the pace is there. I think he can. he's a very, very quick driver, but he just needs to get to grips with that car. We shall see at the end of the season, but so far, it's not been good. Quick note. Andreas Seidel did come out on the latest F1 YouTube video. It's a grill, it's kind of like Grill the Grid, but it's for the team bosses. All of them except Alfa Romeo's Jacques Vasseur, I think his name is, I can't remember off the top of my head, was on it. And Andreas Seidel said he'd rather have a driver who's fast and difficult because you can work on the difficult personality 
rather than a nice driver who's slow because you can't work on their raw pace. And I think with Daniel Ricciardo, he's got a nice driver with a shitload of raw pace and it's just unlocking that in that car. Seidel also came out and said, at the same time, we look at the team side as well to see what we can do to help him on the car side to get back this natural feeling which you need to go fast. That's where we are. Overall, it's simply it's now it's important now to simply put this weekend behind us with him and simply continue our journey in Baku. If you if you look back to the beginning of the season, we have made good steps forward with him, which is again very true. I think it's going to be a very similar situation for Ricardo. Last well, when he changed teams last to Renault, he really struggled in the first year at Renault. Then in the second year at Renault, you really saw what Daniel Ricciardo could do in that Renault car, scoring two P3s, one at Imola and the other one somewhere else. Can't remember off the top of my head. Now, the final thing I wanted to cover in this week's news roundup, and it's more so, it's not so much news, it's more of an improvement that I've been seeing in a particular driver since the start of this season. And no, it's not Esteban Ocon. As we all know, I predicted Ocon to beat Alonso this year, and he's well on course to doing that. But the driver in question that I wanted to talk about got his first points of the season last time out, and that was Antonio Gio Venazzi. Now, on the Imola Race Weekend Review episode of the Backmarkers podcast with my friend Sasha, we talked about Antonio Giovinazzi and how he needs to improve his game this season in order to stay in F1. This is make or break season. And something that's been going under the radar recently is his slow rise up the field to become Kimi Raikkonen's equal as Raikkonen enters the twilight years or the twilight year this might, probably will be his final final year in F1 I think and Antonio Giovinazzi is slowly but surely gearing up to be able to beat Raikkonen on a consistent basis with him actually coming out and saying recently in an interview that he no longer needs Raikkonen as a like a comparison point no longer needs him as a reference and Vasseur the Alfa Romeo team boss has also come out and said that he can see Antonio leading the team into the future he's called Frederick Vasseur not Jack Vasseur I've just found out so Giovinazzi this year has consistently been out qualifying Raikkonen with Vasseur saying that probably one of the issues he's had in the past was that he's too focused on Kimi as a reference and he has to be focused on himself. It's not e easy because very often the first reference is your teammate and now he's taking his own position within the team. And this is also very important for us. The big change he's had over the past 12 months is that when he did this kind of move to say, okay, now let's be focused on myself. I'm doing the job. I'm able to do the job and I'm at 100% of my capacity. I will do a decent job because we all know Antonio's got pace but he often just randomly spins and crashes but that has not been the case this year and he's been slowly improving consistently out qualifying Raikkonen he just needs 
to start beating him on a regular basis in the race. As this season, Raikkonen has finished 11th, 13th, retired 12th and 11th. And Giovinazzi has finished 12th, 14th, 12th, 15th and 10th. So on the two occasions, it's currently 3-2 to Raikkonen on race beating of your teammate. Where will we see that at the end of the season? I think it'll be a very, very close battle to monitor. But keep an eye on Antonio Giovinazzi. I think he'll be at Alfa Romeo for the long term. And I think he'll be guiding a younger driver next season underneath him. And that driver will be Callum Eilot, I hope. Or Piastri. Or Guan Yu Zhou. Or Drogovic. Or Schwartzman. Or someone. Probably one of the Ferrari Academy guys rather than the Alpine Academy guys, but we shall see going into the future. That has been your news roundup for the past week, and a few opinion pieces in there as well. And yeah, that's been it really. And that will be a wrap for episode number 16 of the Back Marcus podcast. Bit of a slow news week, but I will be coming to you on Monday at 5 o'clock to go over my race weekend review. I'm out working full time now, so I'm going to be recording that straight after the race to get my raw reactions from it. And yeah, should be a good one to watch indeed. I'm a big fan of Baku. It's one of my favourite circuits. But yeah, that's been a wrap and... You always know that the Backmarkers podcast is your one-stop shop for all things F1. You can find me on Twitter at ellisspearman 22 uh, You can send me a message. The link for that will be in the description below. Leave a comment, leave a rating, share with your friends if they like podcasts, share with your friends if they like F1, share with any F1 content creators you think might like this, or just to get my name out there a bit. Who knows, maybe, possibly. Um and if you've got any suggestions on what I can do to improve, maybe upload these to YouTube, maybe upload them to a different platform, then you can let me know on socials or just by sending me a message. My DMs are mostly open to the right people. Anyway, that has been the Back Marcus Podcast, episode number 16, and I will see you all next time.